is it possible to make an artificial intelligence friendly to humans via the software that it runs? Or would we have to quote unquote hardwire a consideration for humanity into an artificial intelligence? The guest that we have today on this episode in the Tech Emergence podcast argues the latter. Louis Del Monte was an executive at Honeywell, where he worked on microelectromechanical systems, as well as some various and sundry projects for DARPA. And when he came across a particular artificial intelligence study, which we'll talk about in this particular episode, he developed a grave concern around where the future of AI might take us and wrote a book called The Artificial Intelligence Revolution. In this particular episode, he speaks to what he sees as some of the more reasonable time frames for AI risk, as well as how we might prevent them preemptively via hardware and other uh, policy-oriented approaches. So without further ado, we'll roll directly into the episode. So first and foremost, you know, before even getting into the, the timelines around where artificial intelligence uh, might take us, uh, clearly, Lewis, again, you've you know, worked with some of the bigger governmental organizations in terms of you know, research in, in certain domains along these lines and, and uh, have, have a, a background in the hard sciences. But there was a particular event that kicked off the idea of your book, Artificial Intelligence Revolution. Um, go, go over that story uh, quickly because I think it will kind of tee up the questions we'll talk about for the rest of the interview. Well, in 2009, there was an experiment done by the Swiss Institute at the CERN, the Institute of Technologies, for intelligence systems. And basically what they did is they created real robots that were programmed to cooperate with each other and search for food, a beneficial resource. And when they found food, they were supposed to light a light at the top of their head so the other robots would go and participate in the food, and avoid poisonous resources. So they did this. And then the, the people that uh, created the robots found that some robots were better at it than others, and they copied that programming uh, that, uh, that had existed, the, the types of uh, uh, decision-making they used yep. to find the beneficial resources. They copied that and put it into the other robots. So they evolved them generation after generation. By about 50 generations, an odd thing happened. Uh, Some robots stopped cooperating. They'd find a beneficial resource and not like the light. And the reason for that was that they had figured out, even though they were fairly primitive robots, they had figured out that uh, they weren't getting as many points because as the other robots came over, they were pushed out of the way. And so uh, they would stop lighting their light. By about the 200th evolution, uh, none of the robots lit their light. They all learned deceit and the mindset of greed, and I think by implication, self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. When I went through that experiment in detail, uh, I became concerned that strong artificially intelligent machines, what I call SAM, strong artificially intelligent machines, a machine like will will have a mindset of its own, and based on that experiment, its agenda may not align with our agenda. 
And so the, the concern I had, and that's why I said, will it, will it uh, uh, serve us or replace us? Right now, we sense it's serving us. But the machines actually, if, as they get to the point that they're very advanced, and I predicted between 2025 and 2030, the machines will be as advanced as a human mind. They will be equivalent to a human mind. And I also predicted between 2040 and 2045, we will have developed a machine or machines that are uh, not only equivalent to a human mind, but more intelligent than the entire human race combined. So knowing the results of that experiment with those primitive robots, I decided that I needed to write a book that was a warning, and that's how my book starts out. Got it. This is a warning. So a shot across the bow of the concerns around a machine that has uh, what what appear to be uh, rational and and um, maybe uh, uh, maybe eventually sort of inevitable. Uh, priorities, namely preserving itself, um, that, that yeah. if that is in fact a portion of sort of a development of an intelligence, if it, it's, it becomes aware of that as, as an import um, or, you know, as, as something that's important to it, well, you know, it, it might, not, uh, might not always dig the people. And of course there's Nick Bostrom's kind of, you know, or the, the, Nick Bostrom speaks on this at length and other folks talk about kind of the, the paperclip machine, if an if a AI, you know, a strong AI wanted to make as many paperclips as possible, it would eventually convert, you know, all of the earth into paperclipable materials, and it would want to get rid of water, and it would want to, you know, there would be all sorts of wacky and wild consequences, and it wouldn't want people around or would, you know, use the small amount of iron in our blood to make paperclips. Um, in terms of programming AI with goals that are friendly, um, does that maybe not do the job? Because, you know, as you had mentioned before, um, maybe self-preservation emerges in, in the development of a machine, if, especially if it's developing itself, and so we can't just program it friendly and say, oh, well, this one won't ever hurt us. That, that is my uh, considered opinion. Got it. Uh, if you look at the most rudimentary life forms, uh, an insect, for example, uh, it naturally seeks protection from from its environment, yep. from harm. Yep. So uh, imagine a machine that has the intelligence that equals or exceeds that of human intelligence. Uh, laws given to that machine in software in my opinion, would work no better than the laws we have for humans in society. Uh, we, we have humans breaking laws all the time, and we need a police force to enforce, to enforce those laws. Uh, we have treaties between nations that are broken all the time. We need armies to enforce those laws. So bottom line is, expressed in software, I don't think will work. So Asimov's three laws, in software alone will work. What I did suggest in my book is that we take Asimov's laws and whatever else we uh, as, a, as humanity think is important, and we, and we put it in hardware, 
not software. And I called that hardware, I gave it a specific name. It would be integrated circuits, solid state circuits, that would act as filters to make sure that the machine was doing what would harm a human being or in some way allow a human to be harmed. Basically, I called those chips Asimov chips. So I gave them a name. Yep. So so okay so so your you again your advice here is not uh, kind of soft programming but finding a way to and I, I without having a background in computational hardware or the substrates it's composed of um, I, I wouldn't be super well informed as to how that would shake out um, would this would such a, a hardware uh, maybe we we could say limit or focus the attention and possibilities and actions of a machine to uh, a particular, uh, you know, to, to a particular subset of actions that, that could, couldn't inherently imply the harm of, of people. How, you know, in, in, in brief, I suppose, how, how would hardware be able to bound action? Well, uh, you could take Asimov's first law, all right, which says that uh, a robot may not harm a human being or through an inaction allow a human to become harmed. And you could actually express that in hardware and say, okay, uh, you would go through a, a decision tree. Uh, will this action result in harm of the human being? And that's, that's, uh, that has some probability. And if, it, if, if the probability is, is at a certain level that we, would pro, that we would put in hardware, then it would say that this action is not permitted. So if a machine came, came to you and, let's say, wanted to shake your hand, it wouldn't crush your hand. Yep. Uh, so the bottom line is that we're going to have to have, if we, if we create weapons, autonomous weapons, we're going to have to have on these weapons uh, in hardware what they can do and what they can't do. And, and now, yeah, no, I do, I do. And now you had brought up, uh, when we were off microphone, you had brought up the fact that, and I also, I'm not, I'm not particularly familiar with, I've read a lot of biographies, Einstein is, is not one of them as of now, uh, but you had mentioned that Einstein, the, the, consummate, pes, I mean, the consummate pacifist, um, had, had uh, yearned to develop the atomic weapon, um, knowing that the folks in Germany were trying to uh, solve that same puzzle and being of the belief that it would be aggregately better for people and a quicker way of ending the war if we developed it first. Now, that's a really unfortunate consequence, I think, this notion that an arms race might sort of be for the better, because I think every side will feel like their winning is for the better, and, and every side wants to be more powerful for the protection of, you know, quote-unquote, themselves and the whole world, right? Um, and... and uh, I'm not going to chastise a nation's belief in that, but I just think that we will all have that belief. Don't we all think that we're the good guys and, and that we're working towards what's, what's aggregately best? Um, you had mentioned this hardware bounding and uh, an, an intelligent uh, machine. You know, uh, other nations may in fact also be developing such machines and may not be all that interested in the extra time taken uh, and or resources taken 
to follow through on this uh, protocol that maybe we over here might follow through on and think is such a great idea. How do we how do we move forward in the world as a as a as a race on this little spaceship Earth um, without you know wrecking each other? But but with that hard fact that a law passed in the in America does not influence you know Belgium or Russia or Brazil or or any anyone else. I don't think I don't think of any of those nations as my personal enemy. I'm just using the example. You know laws like you said are broken every day. Um, and it's and if they're not even a law in another country, people just go over there. Um, how, how can we do this hardware mode of problem solving um, knowing that there is no global policing force uh, in place to, to ensure um, you know, that we don't that, that, that nobody else develops it the quote-unquote wrong way or the quote-unquote dangerous way? Well, uh, basically, uh, let's look at nuclear weapons as a uh, analogy, yes. An analogy, yes. Uh, we are not the only nation to have nuclear weapons. No. Uh, however, we are the only nation to have ever used them in anger. During yep. World War II, we dropped them on Japan. Now, since that time, the, the uh, mutually assured destruction doctrine uh, seems to have held that no nation has used nuclear weapons because of the fear that if it does, it will, it will be retaliated on. And so the whole concept that uh, if I use it, I'm going to pay uh, big time. So you, you have places like Iran, uh, like North Korea, that are pursuing nuclear weapons. However, even the dictator of North Korea, you know, I'm sure he thinks he's right. And as you said, every well, nation thinks I'm, he's I'm right. Sh I'm sure he does. I, I'm, I'm yeah, sure of it. Even the dictator knows that if he were to use a nuclear weapon and say take out Japan and South Korea, that it's likely that our response would have to be proportional. <laughs> Which would be so, tough for that little country, yeah. Yeah, so basically, I, I'm using that analogy to say, look, if you develop weapons that are autonomous and indiscriminately uh, attack uh, targets, killing innocent people, have no military significance, etc., etc., Expect uh, retaliation. Now, that, that's the hard way to put it. I mean, you know, to, to say, well, you know, it's mutually assured proportional response. Uh, what we really want in the scientific community is, is in the last year, my book actually uh, was uh, the second book of its type to actually come out. And it was the first book to go to number one, actually, on Amazon. It became the number one bestseller on Amazon. And it made the front page of the Dredge Report and the front page of Yahoo, the front page of uh, the Business Insider. And I've given lots of interviews about Elon Musk's views, uh, confirming that he was right and confirming Bill Gates is correct in his thinking. 
basically the scientific community almost worldwide is coming out with the with the uh, uh, whole uh, concept that uh, these weapons are uh, essentially should be banned that we should have limits on them. if not banned outright we should have limits on them. yep uh, similar to what we've done look we have limits on nuclear weapons but even even after that before we deployed uh, biological weapons we put treaties in place to ban their use and that's what we need international treaties are, are more destructive ultimately than than uh, nuclear weapons so so uh, and and of course there's there's folks that would you know say as well you know that a strong artificial intelligence might be you know a massively positive influence in the world in some other ways too that maybe if we if we did it right uh, we'd have this huge intelligence to help us solve problems and and to help better the world for sentient things. Um, it, do, do you see it as foreseeable that the continued development of this technology, no matter how friendly? Uh, that that humanity would have a happy ending, or that you know the inevitable development of strong AI is, you know, in in your eyes maybe more or less lined up with uh, us not really being top of the food chain. Uh, if we don't limit it using hardware, uh, I think the uh, end point is that AI will be at the top of the food chain. That they will exceed our intelligence. Uh, to about the same point that we exceed the intelligence, say, of a, of a dog or a, uh, a, another animal, yep. that we just will not have, be able to uh, comprehend uh, the, the depth and the speed that, that these think at, yep. actually computations. Yep. So uh, this, uh, also my concern is, is that the machines will view humanity negatively. They'll say, well, these, these humans are unpredictable. They have nuclear weapons. They release computer viruses. They go to war. This is unacceptable to us. And uh, they may actually uh, uh, seek... My, my view is that they will seek to, for strong brain implants initially uh, under the premise that it will increase your intelligence. Yep. Okay. And, and we're doing implants today. Brain oh, implants. we are. We are. Brain-machine yeah. interface is not a joke today. No. So uh, a brain implant uh, is going to be relatively routine uh, for intelligence in the 2040s. In that time frame. Huh. And now and this is this implants. is by the time we have a machine, you know, at least from your own predictions here. Right. Uh, it, we, um, we have a machine that's that much smarter than we are, that it's smarter than the sum of, of man. That's correct. And that point uh, has been termed the singularity yep. when, when we reach that point. Right. Basically, these brain implants could be a form of enslavement. Because once they're in our head, will those humans identify more with the machines, or will they identify with the humanity? We, we, yeah. And my concern is, is that without us limiting the machines, they'll identify more with the machines. 
Now, now, do you think it's possible to halt the, the literal tangible progress in the development of the technical field of AI? Is it, is, it, is it possible to make sure they don't get too smart, for lack of better terms? I mean, is, is it reasonable to even have that as an aim, or do we plan for its inevitable uh, continued development and just to continue to have our own sets of hedges? Or do we, we, do we aim to put a hard cap here believing that this would be our undoing? Well, it, it could be our undoing if we, don't, uh, if we don't control what's called the intelligence explosion. That's yep. when one machine, say in 2040, when it's more intelligent than the entire human race, then develops the next machine yep. without human intervention, yep. and that machine develops another generation machine. And pretty soon we're no longer even aware you know, of how that, those machines work. Yep. So basically, it could be our undoing, and they may view us negatively. Now, I'm not saying we should halt AI and, and to any extent and limit uh, how intelligent we make the machines. What I am saying is, is that we should install technology within the machine, hardware, that limits its capability to harm humanity. Got it. As a closing note, just because I'm wary on, on time here, Lewis, um, in terms of your other thoughts around uh, around the safety concern and consideration, it sounds like you're, you're congenial with the notions of Musk and Gates, etc. Um, what, what could we as humans, you know, in addition to thinking hard through what you believe is, a, is the, the hardware problem uh, around how we're going to program AI in the future, uh, in a hardware sense, to ensure that, that they, to ensure our own our own safety, um, what else can we be doing today? You know, before these machines are here, that would be fruitful in the preservation of life and the preservation of peace. What other actions, other than planning for the the hardware development that that you tend to favor, um, could we could we be doing today to help ourselves and our, our future generations? Well, fundamentally, we need to have an informed electorate. And I believe now that uh, with uh, the number of books that have come out, uh, mine was actually the uh, second book uh, that provided a warning, but I think it was the first to go to number one. Are you talking about the other one? Was the other one The Last Invention or what have you there? Uh, I think that was the first. It, It was something... That there's been, I mean, yeah, and there's been a lot of thinkers on this idea too. I mean, Bostrom's uh, had a blog for a while, but, but I know what you mean. As far as scientific work, yep. my, my book was uh, was several years after that. I I hadn't read that uh, book that you had just mentioned. Yep, yeah, our last invention. Uh, it was a reasonable book. But basically, uh, now a number of researchers have come out with books. Yep. Nick Bostrom being one of them. Uh, yep. Philosopher Oxford, philosopher. Uh, Stuart Armstrong, etc. A number of people have come out with books uh, warning against the dangers of AI. We need an informed electorate that puts into office uh, our, our leaders that are informed with regard to this subject. Now, you know, this is not this is not an Einstein subject. This is not hard to get your head around. Uh, it's no harder to get your head around than it is nuclear weapons. You don't have to know how it works. You just have to know what it does. Yeah, and, and I think the, the issue is 
Um, and, and maybe I don't know if we're going to find a way around this one, Lewis, but I think the issue is to know what it does, do we need something tragic to happen? In other words, I think the whole world could say, holy criminy, uh, let's do something about these nukes. Did you see what happened over there in Nagasaki? And, and uh, you know, I mean, man, you know, that, that'd be horrible if that happened a couple more times. Um, you well, know, did there yeah, something... I, yeah. I get your point, David. Basically, we were proactive on biological weapons. Okay, yeah, and I think that's, 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 that is a, a shimmer of hope, I think. That's a shimmer yeah, of hope, isn't is, it? That is a, uh, what I would consider a small shimmer of hope, as you put it, that uh, we humans will, will make the right uh, decisions. But people need to be informed. They're, the scientists are coming out. I've done numerous interviews uh, this week, uh, another radio interview, now uh, one with you. And I've been doing just uh, an enormous number of interviews on this topic. It's resonating with people. And there is concern out there, real concern. And some of those leaders now of industry and leaders in science are coming together. Now we need leaders in, in government to take a look at this. And yeah, say, and that, well, that I don't think has happened really at all not, yet. Not to any great extent. No. And that's where we need an informed electorate that puts into office leaders that understand the issue. You know, if you use a computer, I use a computer. Very few people know how to build a computer, but we know what it does. We know what it's capable of. Yep. We need leaders that know what AI is capable of. They yep. don't have to know how to do it. They have to understand what the issues are that surround it. Yep. Got it. And, well, hopefully uh, hopefully, if you get on enough radio shows, and so does Bostrom and everyone else, and, you know, uh, films such as... Uh, 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 Ex Machina and and her and uh, transcendence and and uh, and whatever else you know additional scientific literature and more popular literature and and and, and uh, philosophic thought in this space. Hopefully that groundswell of ethical consideration and conversation uh, will take us to where we need to be to make the right choices, Lewis. I'm going to have my fingers crossed. I, uh, I I sincerely appreciate you being able to be here and and uh, and share your insights on tech emergence. Thank you so much, Lewis. You're quite welcome. It was a pleasure talking with you, David. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.